Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My amazing sponsors for season two of One for the Road are Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. Boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all Rock Sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drink. My guest today on One For The Road is head of AAT Mental Health for NHS Suffolk. He's a psychotherapist, addiction specialist, he's a sex therapist, a presenter, and he has recently started a mental health awareness movement called Start Your Day on Purpose. He is also celebrating nearly 15 years of recovery. Please welcome Tana Hassan. So welcome to my show today, Tana. I met you on Instagram a few months ago and I also heard you on Clubhouse and I thought, what an amazing man you are. So I'm really, really pleased to have you on my show today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. That was a nice little intro. Yeah, all good. Very busy, but but always make time for you, Dave. Always. I appreciate it. So uh, for all the listeners, it's important for them to know who Mm -hmm. you are, what you do. Um, You're a psychotherapist an addiction specialist, a presenter, that's going to be interesting for later on, and you're head of NHS Mental Health at AAT in Suffolk, is that right? Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, that's a short version. <laughs> and, uh, well, you, you've done a lot, mate, and uh, it's very impressive, it is. So I Thanks. generally like to um, wind the clock back a little bit and find out a little bit more about you in the early days. So mm. I'd love to know about how it was for you growing up. Um, for me, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up up in South End, good old South End in Essex. And uh, did you just roll your eyes? <laughs> just see your eyes roll back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, because you were so surprised, you probably thought I was from Kensington or something, right? Somewhere like that. Chelsea. Yeah, that's what I, I thought so. Be. Chelsea, that's it. Yeah, Chelsea. <laughs> um, so I'm a South End boy, born and bred, but this tan is, is real. Uh, so I may be from Essex, but I was born with this. Um, so yeah, and um, you know, growing up was was cool. It was it was all right. You know, I'm one of three. I'm the eldest. I got a Turkish Cypriot dad and an English Irish mum. So you know, I grew up in the 80s. So not many people have pe- names like mine. There was lots of names like Dave. Very common names like Dave. It's a great name. It's a great name. I'm not knocking the name, but it was very common, Dave. <laughs> not like my name. I think I remember once my mum uh, took us to the doctor's surgery and the receptionist there. She she ruled the day. She she caught my mum on a bad day. And my brother's name is Airman. My sister's name is Nalan. And my name is Taner. And the receptionist went, oh, they're funny names, aren't they? She went, no, they're not. They're Turkish Cypriot. And she just gave her that sort of Irish <laughs> angry stare. And uh, and that's kind of what it was like when I grew up. You know, it, was, it wasn't very good. I mean, it's not like now. Everyone's got wonderful names and some old school names. And it's become even more multicultural. So that was a challenge. I'm not going to lie. When I was growing up, having to repeat my name so many times. Um, and then I gave myself a nickname in the end, I called myself Taz because it was just easier, you know, as I got older and become more self-conscious. So even then really, I didn't have a great start. I didn't really feel like, um, I was comfortable with my own name, which is, I'm uncomfortable with it now, but mm. obviously back then I wasn't. So yeah, so growing up was, uh, was interesting. I went to private school, hated every minute of it. 
Uh, and then I went to state school and actually left with an education. And that's not a knock on private schools. It's just for me at that point, you know, I, th- I felt you was either moving too fast or you moved too slow. Right. And when I went to state school, they had sets and I was able to improve on certain areas, but I, I hated school really. I was always trying to be somebody else and just second guessing myself all the time. And it wasn't probably until I went to college to study media and performing arts. Um, I know you're not surprised there, Dave, um, but that's where things changed. You know, I felt more myself, you know, and I was, you know, pursuing a, a career in entertainment. That was, that was the vision. That was the goal been on stage since I was six always energy to burn so my mum and dad always put me in extracurricular activities you know dancing drama singing music all that kind of stuff uh, and that's pretty much me, me growing up really do you think it's in the blood the um performing because you went on to uh appear was it in pop stars so okay so I want to go right back so I basically uh, as I said I was pursuing a, a career in in, in music uh, and entertainment uh, I didn't get into drama school I was 18 on my audition day. I got a recall, which means you get a second call back. Um, <clears throat> but they like you to be a, a bit older. And and I didn't get it. And, you know, I was obviously took the rejection quite hard. But every Saturday I used to get the stage newspaper and I used to go up to Pineapple Studios in London and, and do auditions. And this was just another audition, really, it got that was televised. And um, and it went off. It was it was crazy. What I was 19 at that time. I think we had about 12 million viewers at its peak. It was incredible that an audition would be displayed in this way for all to see and then put on the TV. And it was, I don't think anyone was prepared for that. He was huge, um, wasn't yeah. it? That, that was really yeah. huge. I mean, back in the day where... Um, there were there would be people performing that they were newbies with things like opportunity knocks mm-hmm. um, things like that where they were an unknown talent and they would go on and then go on to be quite successful but I suppose those kind of things were the beginning of the pop star shows which was it um, hearsay Liberty X that's right I mean it was in Australia first and then I, I believe. And then it came to England and, uh, yeah, got down to the last 14. Um, so, yeah, you had Liberty X and Hearsay. So I got to know all them guys really well. We got really close at stage by stage. I mean, there's a lot of stages. It was aired on TV, what, five months later? Yeah. So it was a crazy ride, the sort of things we had to do. And the the emotions and the energy. And we're young, you know, we don't know what we're really doing. And we're just hungry. And we really want to get there. And that was just a, a, a crazy time, crazy time. And, um so, yeah, so when that didn't happen, that was really tough. But uh, Warren and Ray, uh, we got together. We were in the process together and we formed a group together and uh, we got really close. You know, we got really signed twice and uh, we did a lot of things with Disney Channel, MTV, Richard Blackwood, flew to Ireland. We did, it was great. And I just remember that week I was so excited and everyone was tired and I was just running on pure energy. And you can see how people burn out really in that, in that mm. field because they just work and you're just running on pure adrenaline and but I was hungry I was 19 it was 2001 and I loved it um and of course the sad thing is we was in Warner Brothers Studios ready to pretty much sign just had to sing a song just one verse one chorus together and then it was pretty much done um because they were riding off the hype that we'd been on the show and so there'd already been a bit of a following and the guy in our group didn't turn up and he left us a voicemail he got signed <laughs> a solo deal by Def Soul Records and uh, that really put a spanner in the works and uh, but they dropped him after one single anyway so uh, that was a really tough time mate that was really tough um, How did you um, deal with the rejection of that because that night were you 19 then you say I was 19 yeah 19 years old and just going to be honest I mean drinking and using were a big part of my my story big part of my culture with the friends that I hang around with so I mean I I, I you know, I started using and smoking weed at like 16. Um, but I was always able to not use and drink during auditions. You know, I was able to ride off that adrenaline rush from a natural high. But, you know, even through that stage and that process of pop stars, I think they even filmed me flipping drinking in the bar, which wasn't useful. And then my mum figured out I smoked because they showed me smoking as well. In the, so that was a bit interesting. But, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, that was tough. I, I sort of hid in the bottle. Um, went out raving, clubbing. So unfortunately, I went through all the drugs. You know, I was using cocaine, ecstasy, smoking, uh, and drinking, and that's pretty much how I cope with it. And then, of course, they release this on TV, and then everybody kind of knows who you are, but you didn't get the job. So it was fun for a while. Let's be yeah. honest, Dave. I'm not gonna lie. I'm 19 years old. You get a lot of attention. Yeah. A lot of ladies want to know you. You're young. Great. What? Who wouldn't want that? You know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy the the fuss and the attention. It was it was awesome. But then when that shine 
wears off and then you're just really you know you're not working in the field that you wanted to and then people know you but then people start to think they know you and then you get judged more mm. um and this is before trolls of social media because social media wasn't really a massive thing then so people would actually there was a the days of come and say it to your face and that was tough it would be the guys you know you know and i wasn't really a big man i wasn't really a fighting man so you know i'd get quite frightened by things like that really and uh, i'd felt vulnerable so I used to make sure I was out with my mates who could have it. And that, and that just made me paranoid. And plus also drinking and using probably didn't help paranoia as well, right? So all of that came on top. And, and then I, was, I guess I got really bored of ask, answering the same question. What are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And I felt like I had to just sort of make things up, then, mm. lie. And I, or I was just saying the same thing. Like, oh, I'm cutting a demo. I'm doing it. It just got really boring. And I just thought, this is no good. So I came out of uh, working in hospitality at the time. And uh, I made that sound more posh than it really is. Uh, the reality is I was working for my dad. I was working in the Wimpy. You remember Wimpies? Remember them? Yeah, I do. I used to go in them all the time. So, you know, that's what I used to do. I used to, I used to work for my dad. Um, they, they owned uh, a few Wimpy restaurants and... And then uh, I had to come out of the public eye, uh, well, being out in view of people, um, not public eye, but just out of the public's view for questions and just that kind of stuff, really. And even my um, my dad, he let me go, actually. He fired me because uh, I was uh, turning up under the influence of alcohol. You know, I went into a bit of a, de- a depression, if you like. So he um, said, maybe you should go work somewhere else so, and see what a real boss is like because, you you know, I've been good to you. And he had been good to me. He was a great boss, my dad. And uh, I went and worked in the office to get away from people. And that was hard work, Dave. That was hard. You know, um, I was just thinking about what you said then and, and about the terrible, maybe rejection, how you felt by what happened when you were 19. That You know, when you, when you have a passion of what you want to do and it doesn't quite work out, it can really affect you, can't it? And a lot of people that I work with, have felt rejection in their early years. Um, I certainly did. Something happened when I was 14, uh, which made me feel rejected. And that's why I started drinking, really. And um, quite often it aligns, doesn't it? So if things didn't work out, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day with people like Little Mix. You know, I remember on um, X Factor that they got together and it was going either way when he decided they're going to go through and look at their lives now. I know, I know they've sort of separated and going their own way and there's a couple of them pregnant but they've had an amazing career Mm. for for, what is it a decade or whatever and more probably but when that doesn't work out and you're in the public eye and everyone begins to recognize you and then all of a sudden that stops that must be really really difficult to manage especially at um, 19 years old well yes but what's worse than that is it's all right if you've had the job I didn't have the job. You have to remember, I didn't get the job I wanted yeah. to get. So then what you're left with is still people knowing or recognizing you everywhere you go, especially when I was going to places that perhaps, you know, if you were in the field, you wouldn't normally go because I was just a normal guy, right? Normal out there in society. Yeah. So, and that was really tough. And, and, and I'd always second guess people like, because some of my mates would try and make a joke of it because I was just a normal guy and I am. Someone would say, excuse me, uh, and they go, yes, it's him. I mean, wow. I mean, that was just so embarrassing. And they used to find that really funny. And I used to feel really embarrassed by that because I think, no, they're not even going to ask that. You can just tell. And they go, uh, no, I was just going to say if you know where McDonald's is. And and then they would be, it was just things like that, Dave. It mm. gives me like that gut feeling, that horrible gut feeling. And uh, But, you know, to touch on the rejection that you talked about, that comes with the business. It comes with the territory. And I was prepared for that and I knew that. But when it came to something like pop stars, Nobody thought that this was going to be as big as it was. Nobody really knew. So it was really heightened. So then the rejection was really heightened. It was really exposed. And of course, people saw that rejection for the first time on TV. You know, crying on camera wasn't really a common thing, especially talking about men with their feelings. Back then, even less heard of. So people would, you know, I'd even get a few of that on the street from a a few people. No crying here today, mate. And you have to just deal with that. And, um, and how do you deal with that at 19? You're essentially a kid, really. And there's no guidance. There's no support. And that's not their fault. I'm not saying that they should be doing that. It's just what it was. And I'm just acknowledging, knowing what I know now, that what a shame. But it wasn't meant to be at that time. And that's okay. But what was harder was trying to integrate back into normality when I know I didn't want to do that. My heart and my soul, you know, it's fine if you want to work in an office or if that's what you do and you love it. But I really felt I wasn't meant for that. 
And so I was caught between the ego, the self-worth, the reality, and I had to do that. And, and I had to earn my stripes. You know, people weren't very uh, open to me there. They were very judgmental and they were very, I was just very exposed and I had to earn those stripes over time. And then I felt like, okay, like a bit of a, not has been, but that kind of holding on to something. And um, I think in desperation, Dave, I went back again because I got asked if I would do Pop Idol and I said no. And then I saw Darius do it and I thought, ah, I should have done it because he, he, you know, he had a good career. And I thought, maybe I'll do the next one. And I went for Pop Star The Rivals. And that was awful, Dave. That was probably the worst to date, one of the worst experiences of my life. And I'll tell you why. Because now I was using before an audition. Remember I said to you, I've never used or drank before an audition. This time, I, the fear, I was consumed with fear. I was frightened of rejection and frightened of my own shadow. I was just terrified. And I went and the motives were wrong. I was desperate now. I guess you could say desperate to be famous, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I didn't even know whether at that time, whether it was I really wanted to be a singer or I wanted to be famous. I don't know. Maybe a bit of both. But I went anyway and I, and I smoked a, a joint. So I was stoned for my audition, which if anyone's listening that does sing, they know that smoking A is not going to help. Smoking and being stoned, you've got, I had no control of my vocal cords. I had nothing. In fact, I sounded like I was trying to be able to sing, but couldn't sing. And I changed, uh, you know, as soon as I got there, people recognized me and the camera crews came up. And so then now the pressure's on, sweating. And I went in there and it was Pete Waterman that time and uh, Jerry Halliwell and I can't remember his name now, the other guy. Um, I, can't, I can't remember his I'm getting old, Dave. I can't remember his name. Louis Walsh, thank you. And um, they, they didn't like it. And I pretty much got slated, really. Um, and then that went on to public, onto TV. I forgot it got televised. I'd lost the plot. It was awful. I mean, you got Dane Bowers saying to Liberty X, do you think, you know, Tanner should hang his coat up and go home? And that's humiliating for me yeah. to see that on ITV too. And I was just like, oh no. And luckily, you know, luckily Michelle and, and Kelly and, and Kev said, um, well, look, we know him, we work with him and, uh, and he's just had a bad day. We're all entitled to have a bad day. I thought, little do they know, I am suffering inside. I'm, I'm now lost, Dave. I have no dear, no clear direction. Um, I can't even sing right anymore. I can't perform anymore. I don't know what I'm, what my purpose is. So, of course, the answer to that was to drink and use more, and that's exactly what I did. And I had a, a really acute alcohol and cocaine problem. And um, eventually, I left the night, uh, left the office. Told them I'm going to go and do a presenter's course, which I did. I studied in 2009 as a presenter, and I was just unlucky there. And my attitude stank as well. I'm not going to lie. I had an attitude problem as well, Dave, because I was resentful. I even went, uh, I nearly got representation. And the question they asked me, one of these top agencies is, you know, why, why presenting? Why didn't you? And I said, well, if this particular celebrity, I won't name the celebrity, but if they can do it, you know, so can I, you know, I was all nervous and they went, well, that's very unkind. That's a friend of ours. And we actually don't want to do business with you. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I was just thinking, shit, I'm melted. Like, you know, be nice to everyone, went out the window and I was just, and I was just all in my gear. I didn't know what I was doing. So again, I just drank and used, drank and used, drank and used. And then I got out and guess what, where I went, Dave, I went to the nightclub industry. That's where I thought I needed to be. And I think I still needed some kind of, I needed high frequency, high energy. I needed that kind of something. And I guess I felt needed again. You know, if I was a barman, I was the best barman you'll ever have. You know, if I was going to be the promotion manager, I'd be the best promotion manager you'll ever have. And, and to my credit and the team I work with, I achieved that, you know, and it was great fun, but it was also a great mask to hide behind drinking and using. And those five years were dark. They got really dark. So that's kind of where I went. How old was you then um, when you went into the nightclub business? I was about 21. Oh, yeah, still I think, yeah, tw yeah, I was 21. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was so, I was so thin, Dave. That even the suits, some of the suits had like little shoulder pads in, so I just like a triangle, with yeah. a tiny waist, and these shoulder pads had holes in my shoes where I wouldn't get any money to replace the shoes. I'd walk into the toilets on my heels, um, all because I needed money for drugs. Um, I'd have an open bar and just drink at the bar. I was so consumed with fear again, I couldn't even go into work. I'd have to go into another bar. I would meet my drug dealer, have some drugs, have some drink, have some more drugs, have some drink, and then go into work drink some more, use drugs again. And I was just completely lost. I used women like they were drugs. Relationships going out of fashion. I wasn't faithful. I was just all over the place. And at 24, I had drug-induced psychosis. And my mum and dad, they knew the game. They knew what was up. And they gave me an ultimatum. 
get help or get out. They had to be tough because I, I, I'd exhausted every boundary. I'd, I'd pushed every boundary. I'd exhausted every resource. I'd pushed that family to the limit, my family to the limit. I was so self-absorbed. I couldn't even tell you what my family were doing, what my brother did for a living, what my sister did, but they'd all know what I was doing and what I pretended I was doing. It's just lost and full of shit, just in pain, Dave. Makes me feel really sad you you telling me this because on the outside, you probably look like a really confident young lad, you know, got it, what, got it in one. Yeah. that goes along with it and inside you're just broken and i can really relate to that because um not when i was younger i didn't really have a major drinking problem when i was younger but it started when i went into my 30s that's when it started to Mm. really grab hold of me Mm. and i was really lonely and i was really lost inside but on the outside i was this jack the lab bloke that had millions of friends and would bowl into a bar wearing all my snappy clothes and but you know it's not always the picture of the real person inside and that's what i heard from you then you know and um i, think I was a really, shell yeah, yeah i agree i think really your parents really did the absolute right thing there i agree i i, I completely agree they had no alternative they couldn't just sit and watch me essentially die and that's what i was doing i was dying inside i actually caught hepatitis c i found that four years after i quit drinking but luckily my body had produced the antibodies on a rare percentage that could deal with it you know, I really just put my, my body at risk. I just damaged myself. I did what I wanted whenever I wanted. Anything to change the way that I felt, Dave, I would take it. I would do it. So I didn't have to feel, you know, any kind of feeling. No, push that down. Use, drink, isolate, uh, relationships, job changes, you know, all of that. And I stopped writing music. I stopped performing. I stopped all those things that gave me that light. You know, that light was dimming and I loved that stuff. And it just just went away. And, you know, it was a real dark time, but the solution, I think you want to hear some solution. The good news is at 24, that's when I had enough. After when I got that psycho, when I had drug induced psychosis, I sobered up. So I stopped using first and I, and I refused to stop drinking and then drinking really took off and I was going into blackout. But let me tell you, I only did that for six months. Uh, and then I finally gave in the alcohol and, and day at a time, that will be what, 15 years ago on the 1st of October. Fantastic. And yeah, man, and I, I didn't do it alone. I didn't just wake up one morning and go, right, I'm going to get sober. Just didn't work that way. Um, but people gave me a lot of their time, Dave. A lot of people gave me their time, support, help freely and willingly. You know, I went to support groups. I went to anything that I could just to, because I thought it was going to be boring. That's it. That's it now. Can't sing, can't act, can't do anything, can't work in office, can't work in a nightclub, can't be around people that drink and use because that's spinning me out. What the hell am I supposed to do? And someone said, it's just a day at a time. Just take it easy. Just don't drink, you know, make a plan, do what you can. And all these kind of wonderful things that I picked up along the way. And I, I, I can't tell you when it happened, but there was a moment I thought, do you know what? I am worthy of living and that this was killing me and the alternative might be better. And I haven't looked back and I came out of the nightclub business and I didn't know what I was going to do, Dave. I had no idea. You know, I had no idea. Um, you know, most of my friends now are, you know, are settling down, had careers, you know, uh, families, you know, they were driving cars, had houses, apartments, you know, all that stuff. I had nothing. I was just existing and I was still living at my parents' house. And that's not a problem unless it's a problem for you. But for me, it was just the easier option. I had nothing to my name. You know, I, I started doing promotions, like giving out leaflets and, um, like juices in in sort of supermarkets did all that with all the out of work actors and musicians that were like 18 years old so I felt like a granddad and uh you know and I fell into one and it was called Frank Talk to Frank the drug and alcohol government awareness program and that was the start of it Dave it was incredible what an amazing three years on the road that was going around working with kids uh talking with them and kind of making it my own you know really engaging with them and I just loved it because of course I was early recovery Mm. You know, and I call it, I choose to call it recovery because I w- I'm recovering. You know, I don't think I'm recovered. To, you know, if I get my night, head down tonight, I'll be recovered. Tomorrow I'll be recovering, but I'll always be in recovery because the day I don't think I'm in recovery and I got it all cracked, there is a chance I may pick up a game. And it's not about the fear. I'm not frightened of that. That's the last thing I want to do. But I make no mistake. Someone who has cancer, they have cancer treatment. They know they've got cancer when they go into remission. They look after themselves. When I've been through what I've been through in the depths of despair and hell and when I wanted to die and not live anymore, 
and you come out the other side, the only way is up, Dave. And that's hand on heart. 99% of the time, I'm happy. 99% of the time, I'm, I'm a happy man and I've got the energy because I've tasted that absolute depth of despair in my own head. It was a prisoner in my own mind. Mm. And, you know, so by working with his youth, it gave me some, something back. I don't know what it gave. It just gave me that light, that energy. And suddenly, Dave, I was performing again. I don't know why I keep saying your name. I keep saying Dave. Just keep saying Dave. It's because uh, your name's John, by the way. But I, I know. I just it's because I can see your beautiful face here. I know it will yeah. just be an audio, but I can see your beautiful face. So just keep referring to you as Dave. That is your name. Um, but uh, but no, it was it was a really great opportunity, and 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 from there I started opportunity started opening up again. I started going back to the studio. I started writing music for people. I wrote music for artists that went on tour with, you know, Westlife and Girls Aloud and. Uh, and Lionel Richie and things like that. And, and because I didn't understand the business, I also got shafted as well. I got a lot, you know, I didn't get paid out for any of it. And I was still learning. But then I was performing again. And, and I went on a, an Essex um, FM, Heart FM roadshow, Essex Police at the time, Too Smart for Drugs, Knife Crime, Bullying and Alcohol. I did that for two years. It was phenomenal. And I just really enjoyed the buzz and that rush of being on stage and just connecting. And then I got to tell my story afterwards. And that was amazing. And, and, but, but when that tour finished and working with the kids had finished, I knew I wanted to sort of settle because I was, because essentially I was running away still going around the country on a route master bus, hotel rooms. Yeah, it was really cool, but now I needed to put some grassroots down. So, and that's when I started uh, working in drug and alcohol and, uh, and I, I got my stripes working in community drug and alcohol. And I worked my way up Dave through community, through, uh, prisons, crown court, criminal justice services, and I basically wanted to work in every area of addiction. You know, fast forward a few years, I went to London into Westminster for a massive organization called Turning Point, which I love. Open Road gave me the, my first opportunity, Westminster Drug Project. And then I was fortunate enough to manage Sanctuary Lodge as a registered manager in a re private rehab. I wanted to see private element of, of addiction. And I was there for four years and it was incredible. I learned so much. And it was beautiful. The team, the people. And, um, you know, and during that time, I also studied as a counselor and psychotherapist. So I went back to night school while I was working and, and I actually left with a qualification. I thought, right, now I've got that worth back. Now I know what I'm not. Maybe that's worth tapping into what, what I've got and see what my true potential could be. And I knuckled down and that's what happened. And I just kept learning and learning and learning. And I'm still learning today, Dave. I'm still learning now. Uh, you know, and from there, I, I went into senior management back in Turning Point in Suffolk on a maternity post. Uh, and now I'm the head of mental health for access and assessment team uh, in Suffolk for the NHS. And uh, it's my first experience of the NHS. And I'm not I still pinch myself and think, wow, you know, someone that's been there is, is now doing this for a living. And, and, and I still have my private practice, but I also get involved in lots of other things, which I'm sure we'll come to. But that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Maybe I'm gone too much because I know you just you just let me ramble there. I know I do, though. This is what's so fascinating about everyone. You know, they've all got their own story. And I just love to listen to people's stories, give you the airtime which is fantastic and it's like me myself um i i just thought that was it for me because i'm 57 now and i gave up two and a half years ago before that i just thought to myself i will never stop drinking i'll always be in the carpet game my wife kept saying to me there's so much more to you. She used to be mortified when I was, she would get in from work on a Friday. I'd already have three bottles of Henry Weston cider and she would see me pour that wine and she would see my eyes get more and more distant from her. And she's been mm. at work all day. She was looking forward to seeing me, but I was already half cut when I got in, you know, and she would always say, there's just so much more to you than this. You just don't see it, you know. And when I stopped drinking, I ripped the blinkers off. And instead of looking at the glass, I looked what was around me, you know. And like yourself, I, I did a talk in a pub, I think six weeks after I gave up and I was petrified, literally petrified. Right. And, and mm. when I went up, they said, Oh, you're second to last on. And, and people were getting served pints of Peroni glasses of wine. And, you know, six weeks in, it's like a, you're a, a real novice at anything, aren't you? When it comes to sobriety, because you, you know, just being out in the pubs hard enough, let alone indoors where you would normally have a drink after work. Anyway, it come to me getting up and uh, I had to have an iPad with it all written down because I couldn't speak about it naturally. But after two or three minutes, I thought, Do you know what? I, 
I've spent weeks preparing this and I just started talking, right? And it come out from my heart. And after I finished, it was um, feature 15. Um, so you're up there 15 minutes and I've got a standing ovation. I've got a guy come up to me. He was in the Grenfell fire, a fireman. And he said, Dave, that was incredible, mate. I, I've got issues with drink myself and, other people are coming to wow. me asking for help, right? And that was then I realised how important it is to mm. give back. It's to an amazing feeling, isn't it? Experience to mm. and your knowledge of how you've been in your own what whatever rock bottom means to you yeah. to to be able to offer something to someone else and they get something because you get it is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So when you say where you've gone from this to that, to that, to that, I can completely get it because it's like, it's just a fascinating journey, isn't it? When you, when you stop, it just opens the world up and for you and others, and it's just fascinating. And, you know, to be a psychotherapist now. I mean, yeah, I mean, access and assessment is essentially when you go to your doctor and you need a secondary mental health service, doctor refers you to my department. Um, a team of nurses and clinicians will assess you to look at where you need to go because you may have ADHD, you may have autism, you may be an older person, you may have um, personality disorder. So it all depends on which arm you go down, which pathway you go down. So it's very frontline and, and I'm look after that uh, as well as the um, primary care transformation process that we're going through at the moment. So it's trying to bridge primary care and mental health services together. And my specialist piece of work is is trying to improve the relationship with addiction and mental health, because unfortunately, that's a massive conversation in itself, chicken and egg, right? You know, one has got a problem with drugs because of their mental health. One will say, well, their mental health is impacted because of their drug use and drinking. So it's about really looking at them as an individual rather than saying one hat fits all, because it's just not simply true. So that's kind of what what I do um, in, in my job and, and obviously working in, in my practice. But even before all of that, you know, I couldn't even hold down a relationship and I'm married today mm. you know just it's not about the job really Dave for me just that, do you know the most beautiful thing is I wake up in the morning I come down I see my daughter who's never seen me drink my wife who's never seen me drinking and I see them every morning and I sit and I have breakfast with them every morning and I just kiss them I just can't stop kissing them hugging them and kissing them full of affection because you know I'm meant to give love and be loved that's my purpose and I didn't think I was worthy of any of those things despite people telling me that I didn't believe it, but I believe it today. You know, I, I do believe we've all got a gift. We're all here for a reason and it's everyone's on their journey. Right. So that's my journey. And I just love it. And everything is possible because I'm sober because that didn't enrich my life. It didn't empower my life. It may have been exciting. They were great time. Not going to lie. Look, in those early days, the amount of people, I mean, I got invited to so many do's and, celebrity dues and the amount of drink and drugs that are on tap are available it was probably a blessing I didn't get actually released out there because I think I'd probably be dead yeah because I would have never been able to say no but you know you know I sing now for fun because I enjoy it it's not contrived I'm not pushing for this career anymore you know I'm satisfied where I'm at but I guess where I'm at now Dave is I'm at another point in my life especially with social media is that I don't think there is anybody from my community or anybody with the personality I still have and the skills that I have out there. And that's what I would like to see more of that. And so I think, well, why not me? Why not now? So, you know, I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I've been asked to do, represent my organization on this morning show, you know, talking about addiction and things. And, and, it, and I really enjoy it because it's about getting that message out there in the right way from not only from a personal view, but from a professional standpoint and not being that kind of cliche doctor-esque type person that people can't really relate to. And I want to see more of that. And that's why people in the public eye coming out, people like yourselves coming out and talking about it, it, it just normalizes it a bit more and says, it's okay to come forward. You know, it's okay not to be okay, but don't stay. It doesn't matter who you are, what job you do. And we need more of that. And that's my mission at the moment. That's what I really want to do. I really want to get out there and, and do more things like that. You know, It's interesting um, talking to you because what's like part of the reason I drank because I'm a huge overthinker. And, and as you were talking, I was thinking about the 19 year old boy that you were striving to be someone that you wasn't really meant to be, you know, and that's so interesting because now that you don't drink, you've really found the true authentic self. 
you know, of who you are meant to be. You're helping so many people. I've heard you on Clubhouse and you're so articulate around addiction and so knowledgeable in that. And um, you have a bit of a dodgy sense of humour, but we can get over that one. But <laughs> hey, you, you, you've got to have in this uh, game, haven't you? Because it's heavy work, isn't it? There's some days that I go in and I'm like washed out sometimes and you have to take yeah. a bit of lightness out of it because you go mad otherwise. But do you yeah, want to know where you would be? Like if you would have kept, do you, when you said, you know, you'd probably be dead. I, no, I mean it. Yeah, I do as well. I don't think I'll be now. No, I, I, I think if I'm really honest, if I said no, my mum and dad that day, they said, get well. I think I would have left. I would have left on resentment. I would have sofa surfed and I would have ended up exhausted that resource. I would have then ended up in places that I shouldn't have been and then maybe even drugs that I haven't even found yet. Mm. Uh, I think it would have driven me mad before it took me out of the game. I was very afraid of the criminality element because I didn't want to go to prison after I saw the movie Scum. That terrified the shit out of me, really. Yeah. Um, so I knew I wasn't that kind of guy that says, oh, I don't care, let's just get into doing this to make money. But I think I would have just acted out on resentment and I think I would have been even more lost beyond saving. And I don't believe I would have been alive to tell the tale. And that's why I'm so grateful, Dave. When I wake up mm. in the morning, I am I do not lose gratitude. The day I lost gratitude, that's it, it's done. I am not lost gratitude. I'm not here because I chose to be here. I'm here because I opened my hand and said, please help me someone. I need help. And people willingly helped me. They loved me until I could love myself. And then they was able to support me and to able to look at what actually I want to do and what I like, you know, what my needs, what my wants, you know, what am I capable of? And I've tried many things and not succeeded. It doesn't mean that I'm nothing. That's what I used to say. Oh, you're worthless. You're not, you're useless. I used to look at myself and speak. So I don't even speak that way about myself anymore. Oh God, that was different. That was challenging. What was going on for you there? Or that didn't work back to the drawing board. No problem. You know, I just deal with things in a different way. And, and I choose, I say this a lot, right? I choose to wear my life like a loose garment, not a wetsuit because I was so constricted by everything and by life, mm. by, by myself around life. It's not the event. It's the interpretation to the event. So the way that I interpreted everything around me, you know, what I was that guy. Why me? Why me? It's like, why not you? And so I've tried to turn that on the positive. So why not me? I am doing this stuff. Instead of that imposter syndrome kicking in, mm. well, why not? I put the work in. I've worked my ass off mm. to save my ass, to get here, to get sober, to get clean, to, to engage with others, to communicate, look you in the eye, study, learn. So why not? You know, I've come here to grow and grab a life. And even if I wasn't working where I was working, as I said, waking up and being married today is a blessing. To be with my, to be a father, mm. to be a useful son, all these things. This is the. I used to think it was very cliche when I heard people say that, you know, because I used to think it's all about the big house and cars and whatnot. But it really is, you know, you come here in the world with nothing, you leave with nothing, right? So it's about what legacy am I going to leave behind? So what what message am I creating for my daughter? What 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 am I trying to build? You know, it's that that love, man, that love and compassion. And yeah, I really mean also it. So the love for yourself, right? Because I talk to loads of people like you, and the the amount of low self loathing and hatred people have for themselves. Because for me, it was more like I when I used to buy the booze, right? I, so I would. I, w- I would even judge other people. You know, I, I would be in a wine aisle and look at something. Yeah, you you love a drink, you do. And it's like <laughs> picking up a litre of vodka, you know, for that evening. But once I drank that vodka, I looked at myself the next day and I was like, what are you doing? Every single day, what are you doing? What? Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you trying to kill yourself? And it wasn't intentionally I was trying to kill myself. I just couldn't not drink the next day. You know, yeah. and when I yeah. eventually stopped, I eventually began to appreciate the tiny little nuggets of life mm. and build up on them, you know, be it a walk in the morning and actually feeling okay rather than avoiding neighbours walking towards me because I knew that I looked like hell or mm. I might have stank of booze or I might just not wanted to talk to them because I felt so bad, you know. So if it was a a good morning and looking someone in the eyes as simple as that, that used to make me feel that I was achieving something, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's incredible that. I mean, you're sober 15 years, which is incredible. I'm sober two and a half. 
So relative, relatively, I'm I'm still at the beginning after drinking of 40 years. But some people, they say, oh, I'm only seven days sober. And I say, no, you are seven days sober. Absolutely. Take away the only. Take away you know the I mean? only. It is. Absolutely. Like, yeah. on, uh, I agree. Six months ago, you you couldn't mm-hmm. not drink for more than a day off. So now mm-hmm. just to be so grateful. And what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is most people that I know, the majority of sober people are so humble. And I think it's the gratitude that they've got that they've turned their lives around. And, you know, I had my event a few weeks ago and, and it was in people came from all over the country and they all got on. And, and someone said to me, I've never seen so many fresh faces in all my life. <laughs> you know, and you don't sometimes mm. think of it like that, but everyone's healthier. Everyone's looking good, you know, and and there's more positivity and people are thinking, you know, it's changed the family dynamic because now my daughter's talking to me. Now my son will cuddle me in bed because I'm not pushing him away because I just want to sleep for another two hours or I stink of mm. booze or, you know, there's yeah. so many different things that giving up drinking can give not only you, but everyone else. Completely agree. And 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 length for sobriety doesn't equal sobriety. Just I want to no, make, make, make that clear. So, yes, it's been 15 years, but, I mean, I could be a raving lunatic. I'm just not drinking. It could be dry. It's about the quality of your life. And I've seen it. I've seen what happens to people that stop working on themselves, stop. You know, I reflect. I look at my own behavior. I used to blame everybody else, point the finger at everyone else. But now, and that may be the case sometimes, but does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said by me right now? You know, it's about me looking at myself, keep pointing the finger back at me, look at my own behavior. I'm not always humble. I'm a human being. I'm living around in a society where we're around consumerism. And, you know, there are days that I want that one and I want that one and I want that one, you know, all that stuff. Not perfect. Still want these things. But then what do I need? Do I need it? And that comes in moments. So I'm a human being. You know, I don't talk about being an alcoholic or an addict. Or anything. I'm a human being first. You know, I don't think someone with cancer walks around to the lady at the bus stop saying, I've got cancer, everyone. You know, it's it's what, and I know I've mentioned that a couple of times, but that's because cancer is deadly and so is addiction. And people need to give it respect. You know, they need to understand it. And, you know, for me, the drink wasn't the issue. The cocaine wasn't the issue. It was my relationship with that was the issue. It was the payoff, the dependency, the reason behind it, the motive, which was to mask the overriding obsessive thought to change the way that I feel. Mm. And and I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel, don't feel, don't feel, don't feel, ah, that's better. And then in the back of my head, get that little knock, that knock, 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 it's the head talking to me again. It's so busy. I can't even engage in a conversation until I have another drink. And, and that's what it was like a long time until the knocking was so loud because it wouldn't quiet itself. Mm. And so you pop and that was the pop. That was the psychosis, if you like, but um, it's far away from me now, but it's just around the corner. If I stop doing what, you know, I've learned and I need to stay right sized. I'm no better than I'm no less than, because let me tell you, Dave, I used to think I was either better than you or worse than you. I never felt part, felt part of. And, uh, and again, today I live by my life with these two principles. Is it good to me? And is it good for me? And if I can't answer the yes to any of those, it's got to go. And that includes people. Mm. So if you're not good to me and not good for me, ta-da, off you go. Because mm. I want to be around people that want to dance in my light, not shine on my dark. You know, you can point out my defects all day long. I can do that myself. I can beat myself up if I want. But it, who does it help? What does it achieve? What purpose does it serve? So I choose not to do that. Look at our assets. In Britain, we're very focused on the negative sometimes, right? And not so embracing of the positives, which is where the Americans are the other way around. We can do a lot learned by that. And so actually I try and focus on and look at the good in most people and most things rather than looking at the negative way because that's my default thinking is negative. Mm. So I need to learn not to act on my first thought, right? And just get that stuff in. I love that, mate. I absolutely love that. And, and I think I'm quite negative you know maybe cynical i don't know but no negative you're negative dave i didn't want to say on here but it's true you, you're just negative you ring me up the negative you know all day long <laughs> all day long oh i'm 57 67 no i don't mind being 57 do you know what because i think <laughs> all right. i look all right for 57 you look great for 57 uh, you look great for 57. You, and also you've started this movement right mm. which i absolutely love because i quite often talk about setting your day of intention right is so important in especially in the early days of saying to yourself right i am not going to drink today 
is such an important thing. So I'd love you to tell me about your lovely movement that you've started, which is really organically growing, isn't it? Yeah, great. Yeah, it is. It's called Start Your Day on Purpose, a, f- a sentence that we probably take for granted. And I heard a friend of mine's brother on social media saying it, and he's, he was a Marine. I hadn't seen him for 20 years. And I saw one of his videos during lockdown, and he just said, you know, start your day on purpose, people. And he's a bit of a geezer, you know, he's a Marine. He's just a, he's just a man's man, right? And a lovely man. And I contacted him, and uh, I couldn't believe who it was. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen you in 20 years. So we got talking, and I sort of said, look, I really want to, something that's resonating with me around it. And I, I wanted to do something good on social media because I'm just sick of some of the negatives of social media. And I know there's a lot of positives within social media, and I want to be contributing to that element. And he said, look, you do what you want. I'm not a social media person. Do what you want. So I said, okay. And now, of course, he's getting involved because he, he loves, he's seen it. He's seen what's happening. And, and I'm reposting posts and I'm putting posts out and encouraging people to send me their clips saying start it on purpose, no matter what it is. And, and he had the idea that just, his idea mainly came from lockdown where the person that was working is no longer working. They're working at home instead. And they're now looking at emails at 11 at night and there's no balance. Where's, where's the off button? And and then they just become less purposeful. And that was just one particular group of people who was focusing on and wanted to get them out of the house to do something. And I thought, well, actually, what about the ones that aren't working? What about the people that have got to do homeschooling? What about, what about, what about, what about people? So we looked at if it could help one person, then we've done our job. So what we started to do was encourage more people to use the hashtag start your day on purpose. Whether you're making a drink, jumping in the sea, doing a bit of gym, just something, doesn't matter what it is, no one cares what it is as long as you start your day on purpose with something or start your day again or end your day on purpose. It doesn't matter. We are all in our purpose as soon as we open our eyes and breathe in that bit of air. My mate Jamie says that and, and it's really true. So it was about reestablishing that. But then I just wanted to let it grow organically and people are doing that. And then I just do a little reels and montage. I know reels is a bit of a sensitive area for you because you don't have that on your IG yet, which we'll go into. We'll sort that out. But you're right, I've checked your IG. You, you, you don't have them. I don't know why. You know, I do those. I post them up, put some music behind it. And it's been really great. People like yourself, you know, have used a, a, a thinking. It's getting people to think, have I started my day on purpose? What is that purpose? And that's what I wanted to do. And, and we've achieved that. And as, as part of it, I go live every Thursday speaking to guests. You've, you've been one of my guests talking about mental health awareness and challenges and solutions. It's not just about the problem. What about a solution? Now, what's working well, that kind of stuff. So for me, I, it's been an incredible thing to do. And I was going to stop doing it, Dave, because the person who pushed me to do this and encouraged me to do this, he was a good friend of mine and he died. Well, it'll be not even three months yet of a heart attack at 37. And I just heard his voice saying, what are you doing? You melt, get on and do it. That's how he used to speak. And um, he'll go, you know, crack on with it. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I, I am going to continue to keep connecting with people, keep doing it, pushing it. Because he used to do the design for my posts and stuff. But then I've learned how to do that myself for him showing me. And I just almost feel like he's watching because I've been doing more things like this than ever. And I feel more connected than ever. Uh, and I really love it. And selfishly, I do it because it helps me, mm. you know, me connecting with another person. But the buzz is knowing that the person who comes on the show and the people that follow that person will hear them speak in a way that they wouldn't normally speak. That's the magic. If they then listen and, and get help by one person by that, then they will help another person and another person. And that's what it's about. So that's really the movement in its entirety. And it's been an absolute pleasure just to watch it go. It's not a charity. It's not me trying to do this 24-7. It's just something I wanted to give and put a bit of energy and time into and, and let it organically grow and people be involved in it. And you know, people are. So it's great. It's awesome. Love it. But you know what's great, I think, is that this podcast goes to all over the world, right? And uh, hopefully there'll be people in Iceland, New Zealand, Australia hearing this now, and they will start to follow that movement. Because for me, it's changed how I start my day as well. And also, it's important to say as well, I'll tell you what I've picked up from it as well. You know, sometimes you get up and you kick the cat, you you boot the tea over and you go, oh, my day's terrible already. It's going to be one of those days. I've been using your start your day on purpose actually to reset my day. So you can always reset the day, right? hundred percent. Oh, it's really beautiful to hear that. That's made my day. Yeah. Hearing that. yeah. Because 
we all go down, especially if you're negative like me or cynical or whatever you want to say, you can, you can always think, do you know what? It's going to be one. I've got out of bed wrong side and, and then you, the car won't start and mm-hmm. you know, it, but you do have the ability to reset at any point of the day. And that, that's important for me and hopefully for those people in Iceland that are listening to this podcast right now. And, so. it, and it might be surrendering. That might be the solution. So that's starting your day on purpose might be saying, right, I'm completely powerless over this. There's nothing I can do about my car. There's nothing I can do about getting to work. Maybe I just need to accept it. Start my day on purpose to me is know that I, this is out of my control. There's nothing I can do. It's not yeah, always, you know, exactly fine. If that's what it is, that's what it is. It doesn't have to be big, elaborate things. It could be anything. You know, if I picked up a phone and asked how someone is and listened to the answer, stuff like that, you know, that acknowledgement, you talked about that eye contact earlier on. Absolutely. Right when I'm walking out, recognize your community. Give them that nod and hello. We was in isolation for a lot of time. Mm. That, that may be the only bit of communication someone's actually had. You may have made that person's day. You just don't know. You just don't know. And, and to finish on my point on that, which also resonates why I do this is, I remember I went somewhere and I went to like a, like a support group and there was someone in there that didn't really, didn't feel like he belonged there. And he said to me, um, I'll take my time on this one because it gets me a bit emotional when I think about it. Um, it was really powerful because you just, it's just the power of not knowing what impact our words have and just being with someone, what's really going on in their mind. Because no one knows what it's like to be you, but you. Could all may have a similar understanding, right? But no one really knows. Anyway, I went to, he went to leave, went to dart out the door, and I just grabbed him and said, hi, introduced myself and encouraged him if he wanted to have a chat. And he, he was looking uncomfortable, understandably so. And he said, no, 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 I just want to go. I don't think this place is for me. And I said, well, if, it, if it's helpful, why don't you just empty your head with me? He said, would you empty my head? I said, well, what was in your head? Just, just share it with me. I ain't going to go any further if it's helpful to you. He went, all right. So he just told me his life story. So I suggested an alternative route for, for, for support. And he went, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I said, well, if you want, I'll meet you on Wednesday and we'll go. We'll go together. I said, yeah, I don't mind. I'll come, I'll come meet you. Thank you very much. He was a massive big guy. Anyway, he left. What he told me, I saw, I didn't, after we went, and anyway, I didn't, I didn't see him for about a year. A year later, I bumped into him and he gave me, he's a big guy. He gave me a massive big squeeze and picked me up. He said, thank you so much. And I said, no, you're welcome. And he said, um, I was going to go kill myself that night that you saw me. <clears throat> One second. <clears throat> I was going to kill myself that night, he said to me. Um, and he said, and you, you stopped me in my tracks. And um, by stopping me, in, it, you made me think and realized you also got me to commit to meet you on the Wednesday. And I thought, well, no, I've got to meet this guy on a Wednesday. And he said, you introduced me to something that I then felt comfortable and felt I'd, I'd found what I was been looking for. And he said, and that means the world. And that just blew me away. So you mm. never know, people. You never know what impact you have. In a positive and negative sense, our words have meaning. That's why Bruce Lee says they're called spells. It's called spelling, right? So they cast spells, our words. You know, all that have all that wonderful stuff. So um, I told you I get emotional on that bit because it's just so powerful, man. It's just so powerful because I know what it was like at that point to ask for help. Someone there willingly giving their help. But I had no idea that he was contemplating that. Why would I? Anyone that's really thinking that, don't tell people that. Don't wear it like a sign. And the fact that he didn't and that somehow I played an instrumental minuscule role in that was so humbling and so powerful that it just reminded me why I do what I do, why I remain sober and why I will always, always stay connected to people. Connection is key and it starts with connecting with myself. I need to have a relationship with myself, Dave, so we can have a relationship. I'm still not going to sleep with you, but I'm still going to be your friend forever. And I'm gutted about that. That's all right. um, That's all right. But that, that's a really, really powerful story. And um, it's the universe right there, isn't it? Serendipity, being there at the right time. And as you say, you, you don't know what's going on for people. You know, you might see someone in the queue and, and they're looking a bit troubled, but you really don't know what's going on behind any of it, you know. And uh, since, for me, I'm, I'm very sensitive anyway. I'm, I'm really, you know, I talk about sensitivity a lot and it's like being finely tuned to people's emotions. But it's being aligned with people as well, isn't it? You can almost, it's like another sense to me sometimes when I see someone. And as you say, just having that conversation where you could have easily just walk past would have changed everything, you know. It, it's a fascinating subject. and. 
powerful, mate. I'm really glad you shared that with me. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. Let's. Uh, so, mate, what's next for you? I want to blow my nose and wipe my eye. <laughs> I, know that, I know that much right now. <laughs> You're allowed to do that, mate. Well, I'm going to take over the world, Dave. That's that's the next plan. No, the plan for me, really, in all seriousness, is I don't know, and that's okay. Mm. I actually don't know. All I know is I have my energy back. I have things to say. I want to reach out and help, but I feel which I'm doing. But I want to do it on a bigger platform, and I don't know what that what that means. I don't know what that looks like. So I'm just having a bit of faith and just doing what I'm doing. And you do the right things, the right things happen. And I think opportunity will present itself you know and i'm just keeping an open mind you know and uh it's a good question because i genuinely don't know the answer but that's all right i don't have to keep yeah. doing something you know i don't know i just i feel it that's the perfect answer that is all right yeah he's all right and before you were striving out you know trying to prove yourself trying to be this trying to prove that and trust me mate i've heard your singing and i'm not surprised that um the audition failed Apart from that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You this in that clip the other day. You said you were to sensitive. Fair, mate, I think it, it, was... It, it was it was joyful. <laughs> you, you got or had a great voice. I haven't heard you sing. Maybe you could see this podcast out of a little no. little tune. No, you're right. Okay, but do you know what? The reason, in all seriousness, the reason that I wanted you on today is because I, I, as I said previously, I heard you on Clubhouse and I was immediately connected with you of how you were talking. You know, I just thought I said actually I was with M. We we were sitting in oh, bed right. and we were about clubhouse and then I, I went i don't know if it is susie shaw's it was yeah, and I yeah it was yeah speak and i said to him bloody hell this bloke is great i think he's brilliant i'm gonna oh thanks mate contact him. and i think i sent you a message and gradually you've uh let me into your world and uh i'm letting you into mine now and the reason mm. that i wanted you on today is because i think you're an amazing man and i mean that i know we have some banter I think you're amazing. I feel... Don't take ourselves seriously. Take take what we do serious, but not ourselves. I agree. We've got to have a bit no, of no, banter. But, you know, like, like I, I still feel quite emotional about what you told me, actually, mm. about that guy. I think that's amazing. And I, using my platform, I want people to know who you are. I want people to know about the Start Your Day on Purpose. And I'm really, really excited about our future together. I think we'll work together in the future. I really do. Brilliant. That'd be great. And I'm just so grateful that you've come on my podcast today. Um, so thank you so much, mate. Do you know what I love about you, Dave, as well? What separates you from a lot of people that do, because a lot of people are doing podcasts now, and there's, I'm not surprised it's in the, I think you told me it was in the top 10 at some, at some point, or still is, is because you're just so real. There's a lot of bullshit that goes around and that's fine and there's also a lot of wonderful stuff that goes on and you just need to learn and feel your way through it to find out and the listeners they they know they can spot it they can smell it a mile off and obviously with you you're the real deal you're so genuine you're so authentic you're so dry you're hilarious uh, and I, I just really like you a lot and um again i'm still not going to sleep with you just to be clear but I, you know, you're a friend for life. I, I absolutely know that. And, I, and so the pleasure, you know, is an honor really to come on, on your podcast because I listen to it and it's great. And what you're about is brilliant. And I will help you get your reels. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to write to the chairman of Instagram. I know it's ridiculous, but hey. If any listeners know how to do it. No, <laughs> well, nothing about knowing how to do it. I just haven't got it. It's not, it's not on my Instagram I mean. platform. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I don't know what the answer is. It doesn't is. matter because I don't need reels, stupid reels. I don't. Yeah, I'm, sens I, I, I'm, I'm sensing resentment in your voice, though, Dave. I'm sensing yeah. resentment. <laughs> it's absolute resentment. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me. Let's go back. Well, I won't come on your podcast, I will, but... Going down the dark side, I can always use TikTok, right? But this, you know, I, d I don't need to do these things. I've got my my authenticity about me that um, do not need to do silly videos in me in a tutu prancing around on the south bank of the River Thames. So anyway, I believe that any, anyone listening to this can feel a real bromance going on here. So hey, that, I'm gonna, uh, you're unfolding. Podcast, and I'm going to uh, ask you out on a dinner date. And on me 
and uh, we shall crack on with that. I will so gracefully accept, Dave. I will gracefully accept. Thank you, darling. Thank you. That's fine, darling. Thank you so much, mate, for telling me your story and getting that message out there. Start your day on purpose. It's so important in life, not just to dig in life, to get up in the morning and start your day on purpose is just what we should all be doing to make this world a better place. Absolutely. It's a much better way of putting it. I like it. That's very articulately put. You, you should do this. You should do this for a living. You should. <laughs> okay, mate. Thank you so much. Take Let's care, buddy. All the best. Speak Thanks, everyone. Soon, mate. Bye. Bye, mate. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. One for the Road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a moment, then please do leave a review so that more listeners can enjoy the conversation. You can find me on Instagram at SoberDave, or drop me an email at info at davidwilsoncoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great week, and take care. Thank you.